All right, well, we're going to be in Zechariah chapter 2 tonight. The title of the series is A Restoration Project because it's been talking a lot about how God restores our lives. And when it looks like all is broken or all is lost or, or you have gone down a road that cannot, you cannot get back from, how God is right there with you and he has a plan for how to get you out of it. <clears throat> in fact, we're going to learn tonight that he not only has a plan, but he, he has a, uh, he's put into motion this plan. Uh, and so we're going, to, we're going to get into that tonight. So let's pray and we'll open up to Zechariah chapter 2 and we'll get right there. So Jesus, we come to you and we thank you so much for uh, the guidance and leading of your Holy Spirit, God, that you have chosen that this is the night that we should all look at Zechariah chapter 2 and and all the people that are here it's because you specifically have brought them Lord and there's something in this message that is vitally important for their spirit to understand so Jesus I ask that you would open the eyes Lord take any veils off of our eyes of our hearts and let us see with pure vision exactly what you have for us because, God, we don't want this to be a wasted night. We don't want there to be a, a time in our, our Christian life where going to church is just a routine. God, we want it to be an absolute, life-changing event in our life every time. Because, God, we are coming in contact and close proximity to the God who created the whole universe. And, God, you have something for us tonight. Lord, we just want to be full of repentance, full of, full of hope, God, in your word, full of trust in you. Lord, as we just take a moment to pray, Lord, I just pray for our church. God, I pray that you would provide the, the things that we think we need. And Lord, I pray you would correct our minds for anything that we don't need that we think we do. God, we are here for your glory. We are here for your honor, God. And there's something, Lord, that you want to change about the way we think, the way I think. God, I invite you to come in, change my heart and my mind. Lord, I just lay out everything before you in our church, Lord. We're, we're just brand new and, and, God, we want to be formed by you like, a, like the potter forms his pottery. Lord, we pray for our close friends and, and those who, who may be at Calvary Roar tonight. We just pray that you would bless them, that you would use them so powerfully and mightily. And God, that you would comfort us because you're the God of all comfort from um, some of the hardships that we've gone through. Jesus, you are our King. And God, we ask you to come and, and commune with us and talk with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are looking at Zechariah chapter 2. Last week we looked at the two first prophecies of seven that are in this uh, first section of Zechariah. There's seven different visions that Zechariah sees, and they're all crazy. Remember, we talked about Zechariah. He's just this crazy prophet you know his his brother in in crime his was Haggai they were they were preaching at the same time and Haggai was like get in gear done that's my letter get on the ball 
Don't, don't worry about anything else. Just do what you're supposed to do. What God's called you to do, do it. And Zachariah's like, brother, I got a vision for you. Come, let's take a look at this vision. And he's got all these different visions that the Lord gives him. And, and the Lord uses people, two different people, uses them in the same, to, to get the same people encouraged. And just like I'm encouraged by certain pastors, other pastors I listen to, and I'm not all that encouraged by them. And it's not that they're bad. It's just that they don't speak my language. You know, they, they may be, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's not an age thing. Maybe it's an accent that they have that just bugs me or whatever it could be. There's certain guys that I really receive from. And I could list them off for you. John Corson is, is just a blessing in my life. I encourage you guys to check him out. He's one of the greatest teachers I've ever heard in my life. You know, Pastor Brian, when we were growing up, was a wonderful teacher of God's word. I really receive from them. I, everything that they say, Bob Hoekstra is another one for me that I just model my whole preaching uh, approach after the what I've heard uh, from him. And, uh, and there's so many of these guys, and I could, I could rattle them off for you. David Guzak and, and others who really ministered to me. And the other guys, the people are like, yeah, we love these guys. And I'm just like, meh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's okay. He's all right. Uh, and he's teaching the word of God. Love him. God's used and blessed his ministry, but not necessarily for me, you know, and that's fine. And so and even in this church, as we're as we're going, you know, I may not be the preacher for you or for your friend or for someone else. And that's OK. Because God has everyone here for a specific group of people that he wants us to minister to. And I'm cool with that. So Zechariah here is now getting into the third vision. So let's read it. It's the vision of the measuring line. So verse one says, Then I raised my eyes and looked and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And so I said, where are you going? And he said to me. To measure Jerusalem and to see its width. And what is its length? So here we have this guy. Zechariah sees this vision. And this guy is just checking things out. Checking out God's people, God's city. He's got his measuring line. And he's just there checking it out. And what happens? Verse 3. And there, and there was the angel who talked with me going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him. Who said to him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. So what does this mean? What does this mean, this prophecy? Well, this is a this is a prophecy of things that will happen in the latter days. OK, now we're going to read a, bit, a little bit later on. We're going to read about Jesus in his first coming. OK, and this is specifically going to be talking about Jesus, second coming. And this is something common that you'll see you students of prophecy and you students of end times events. You guys will know as you're studying that sometimes the Old Testament prophets, they got kind of this vision of what was going on in the future. But they couldn't distinguish, and, I, and it was by design that God allowed it to be this way, there was a difference between the Messiah's first coming and his second coming. There's two different comings. And, and you see that, you see almost the confusion going on in the prophets' minds when they, when they see a suffering Messiah. 
And then you see, oh, you know, that I'm going to be broken for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. And Isaiah 53, you read it and you're just your mind is blown by that Messiah that was broken and, and suffering. And then you see all these prophecies of a ruling and reigning Messiah. And then you see these prophecies of a war that happens at the time of Messiah's coming. And you have all these different um, prophecies. And then Jesus came. Okay, so Jesus came and he came as the suffering Messiah, right? He came and he didn't come at a time of war. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as the suffering Messiah. And so that's why they had such a hard time. The Jews at the time when Jesus came accepting him, they had a hard time accepting him because wait a minute. This like Zechariah chapter two. There's a there's a, a, a reigning part. There's a king part that we need to see from our Messiah. And you are not it, Jesus. Look at you. You're on a donkey riding into town claiming to be the Messiah. And that is not very kingly. And yeah, there's another prophecy about that. But that's not the exciting prophecies we're into. We're into the ones that are exciting. So you have these two different visions. And a lot of times the prophets, they they put them, just squish them together. And that's what we have here. Okay, so we're going to the second half is going to be about Christ's first coming. We're going to be talking about Christ's first coming in the second half of our chapter today. But this first part is about his second coming and about what's going to happen and and even some signs and some details that we get. And it says here that run and speak to this young man saying Jerusalem shall be inhabited. Jerusalem shall be inhabited. And he says, as towns without walls, because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. And I was there. And it is inhabited today. And it doesn't seem like there's many walls around it. This is a, this is a prophecy that is coming true in the last days. And so keep your finger here, but turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. My son Ezekiel has a big smile on his face right now. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 38. <clears throat> and I want to point out to you another verse that's talking about the same exact time. So Ezekiel chapter 38 says, verse 11, 38, says, You will say, I will go up to a land of unwalled villages. I will go up to a peaceful people who dwell in safety, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. So what is this talking about? Well, the whole chapter of Ezekiel 38 is is called the Gog and Magog invasion. And Gog is another name. This Magog is another name for Russia. And in the end times, Russia is going to lead a confederation of nations to attack Israel. And that's what this is talking about. And the prophecy here in Zechariah says Jerusalem is going to be built and it's going to be built as a town without walls. They're just going to feel safe. And I've been to I was there not three months ago and it is a very safe place. In fact, I remember telling my wife, man, I feel safer here than I feel in Denver on 16th Street Mall. Like I just it is so safe here. You got guys just watching what's going on, just protecting. And I felt incredibly safe. Everyone speaks English. It's just fantastic. You know, it's great. But that's where they're at right now. But at this time, Russia is going to invade them. 
Russia is going to attack them. And what does it say here? Well, it's going to be at a time in an atmosphere of peace. When people are saying peace and safety, that's when sudden destruction is going to come upon them. And so uh, it's going to be a very surprising invasion when it happens. And so here's a couple prophecy nuggets for you. Why would Russia want to attack Israel? It's a very good question. You're thinking Russia, you know, well, they have a lot of internal chaos going on right now, don't they? It's, it's kind of crazy. You've got all these Muslim parts of Russia that want to break off and want to become their own. And they have some influence. And then you have these, you know, the Chechens and the, the, all these different groups and in Ukraine. And there's all these wars and stuff going on in Russia. And nothing unites a country better than war. Well, now we all have to go down and fight this war. So how is this going to happen? Well, let me give you my my real fast rundown of what I think the end times, how this is going to play out. And this is this is free. You don't have to pay extra for this. This is just for you guys. Okay? there's a there's a a real important part in Ezekiel 38 that says uh, that lists all the nations that will be attacking with Russia because Russia is going to take a confederation of nations in. But there's a very prominent one that's missing. And that nation is Syria, Damascus. And so if you look at Amos chapter four and a couple other verses, it talks about how Damascus will be destroyed by God. That for three trans, let me quote uh, Amos chapter one says for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn its punishment away. Basically, what God is saying is Syria is going to attack Israel. And then they're going to be destroyed and they're going to do it four times. The first three times. okay, but the fourth time they do it, they will be destroyed. And if you look at the history of Israel since they became a nation three times, Syria has launched attacks against Israel. And the fourth time that happens, I believe that Israel is going to nuke Syria. And I believe that, well, they have said that that's what they're going to do. The next time a nation attacks them, they have put the blanket statement out there, we're going to nuke you. Don't do it. We will nuke you. So it's your fault if you get nuked. It's on you. But Syria is crazy. Adminijad is loco. And all, whoever Adminijad is in, Iran, uh, Assad, yeah, Bashar Assad, he's crazy. He hates Israel. His stated goal is to kill every Jew. He hates them. He hates the fact that they exist. And he wants to attack them. And he's a little scared right now. But one day he's going to drink something. And he's going to be really bold. And he's going to do something really stupid. And God will allow it to happen, and Israel will nuke them. Well, just think of the world climate. What would it be like if an entire country got nuked? The world would go nuts. The UN would be like, ah, what are you doing? And they'll say, we have to disarm Israel. Israel's the problem. But are they? Well, we could talk about that. But this, God says, is going to happen. So Damascus will be destroyed. They will not be then part of this Gog and Magog invasion. So Russia then will come down with the, the full blessing of the UN, say, go down and disarm Israel. Here you go. Take, and Russia will say, oh, free pass to go invade a country. I'll take it. And, and as we read the details in Ezekiel 38, it's really amazing because 
they come down with all these ulterior motives to 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 take the oil and and they actually attack Saudi Arabia at the same time and it's just crazy everything that happens. But what does it say in our our book in Zechariah chapter two? It says that thus says the Lord, I will be a wall of fire around her, a wall of fire around her. You see, when the, at the day that Russia decides to attack Israel, five sixths of the Russian army will die from fire on that day. Look in our in chapter two, verse six of Zechariah. It says, "Up, up, flee from the land of the north," says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, escape you who dwell in the daughters, the daughter of Babylon. The land of the north always speaks of Russia in the Bible. It speaks of that that Russia, that southern Russian area. And so, back in Ezekiel 38, I'm just going to read to you verse 18 through 23. And it will come to pass at that same time when God comes into the land of Israel, thus says the Lord, that my fury will show in my face for my jealousy and in, and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence." The mountains will be thrown down and steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against Gog through all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. And I will rain down on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and will be known before the eyes of many nations and they will know that I'm the Lord. So Russia gets destroyed by fire. And so that's where this Ezekiel chapter or Zechariah chapter 2 links and connects with the events of Ezekiel chapter 38. Okay? Now let's look at verse uh, 7 again. Up Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he Sent me after his glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You might be thinking, why is, why is all this about Israel so important in the, in the end times, in the end days? Why is it so important? Because God has a plan for the nation of Israel. It's very clearly demonstrated throughout the whole Bible. He loves them and has made promises to them. And right now we are in a time called the church age. This is when the church is here. But there will come a time, right around the time of that Russian invasion, when the rapture will happen. I don't know if it's before that and we'll see it, or it's after it and we won't see it. I don't know, but I know it's right around that time because of many of the different clues in the word. But at that point, the church goes up in heaven with the rapture. All of us who are part of the church, we go to heaven. And there's seven years where God is specifically dealing with the nation of Israel. He's drawing them back. He's, he's teaching them that he is their Messiah. He loves them. He has a plan for them. It's a very important time in history. And so it says here that he who touches you touches the apple of his eye or, or the, the pupil, the pupil of his eye. You know, the fast that scientists tell us that the fastest reflex in your entire body is the reflex of your eye. Protecting itself. We were just talking about that. 
And see, there's a lot of nations who would do really good to understand this. That God has a heart to protect his people. There's a shirt when you're in Jerusalem that has a list of all these different empires. They have Babylon and Egypt and blah, blah, blah. They have about 15 of them listed. And then after each one of them, it has an X through it and it says destroyed. Blah, blah, destroyed. Blah, blah, destroyed. And then it has Israel has a friend in very high place, so you better watch out who you're supporting. It's, a, it's an awesome shirt. I really wanted to get it, but it's true. They are the apple of God's eye. Now, if a Jewish person dies today, are they going to heaven? Not if they don't know Jesus. But it doesn't change the fact that they are the apple of his eye. He loves them. He protects them. He has reflexes to protect them. That's what, that's what he's trying to get across there. So it's his heart to protect them. Looking now in verse 9. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And he says, verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I dwell, I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. We are now moving from a time where the prophet was speaking of the second coming of Jesus, where this battle is going to take place, to we're backing up 2,000 years to the first coming of Jesus. And it's pretty amazing. Sing and rejoice, for I am coming to dwell in your midst, says the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. And then you will all know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah and his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So he says, I am coming to dwell Not I am coming to rule or I am coming to judge, although those things are going to happen too. But look what he's really excited about and what the people really need most is they're being restored as, as a restoration project is under underway in their life. It's not the ruling aspect. It's not the judging aspect. It's the dwelling that God wants them to understand. They needed a God who wants to dwell with them in their midst, not high above them or far away from them, but right with them. He wants, they, they needed a God like that. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna read to you Isaiah 57, 15. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I say that every week, don't I? But this really is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Now that's a title right there, right? If you wanted to give yourself a grand title, that's a pretty good one. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, just like we sang all those songs, right? But what does he say? Thus says him, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What an amazing picture of God. He's high and lofty. He, 
he inhabits eternity, which means he's too, too big for one time. He fills all of time. That's pretty big. Pretty grand. And he says he loves to hang out with people who think they're not that great. So you know what? I think he loves our church right now. I think he loves hanging out with us right now. It's just, it, it brings joy to his heart because that's his character. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this locational, relational closeness, that's the promise. That's what these people needed. It's like picking sides in a football game and Jesus says, I promise I'm going to pick you. And he picks you, even though you're terrible at football. Maybe you're a girl, I don't know. But he still picks you. So he says, many nations will be joined to the Lord in that day. Many nations. And they shall become my people and I will dwell in your midst. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You know who those many nations are? Us. When the Gentiles... We are Gentiles. We're not Jewish. We weren't the people that Jesus originally, that people group that he was using. We are now the many nations. Galatians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham. And here in Zechariah, we have, this is before Jesus, we have the scriptures foreseeing the Gentiles being saved. I love it. And so then all those who are of faith are blessed with the believing Abraham and the believing Zechariah and all the other believers. We're all just believers now. We're all just believers. It's awesome. Uh, then he says, I will dwell in your midst, you Gentiles. All you nations that are gathered together, I'm going to dwell in your midst too. I'm not just coming to live in Jerusalem. I'm not going to stop there. Remember, he, he's going along and he says, it's better that I die and go away. And they're like, no, Lord. And he's like, yes, it is better. And they're like, you're crazy. And he's like, no, because if I don't go away, then the helper is not going to come. And in Acts 10.45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished when they came, when as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Wow. So God's holy presence, his holy dwelling, himself, just like Jesus hanging out with them, the Jews, in the first part of this chapter, or the second half of the chapter. Now he says, all you nations, I want to dwell with you too. And how does he dwell with us? Through the Holy Spirit. He actually comes and take up, takes up residence inside our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. And he just wants to dwell with us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, For you, brethren became imitators of the church of God, uh, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you suffer the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath of God has come upon them. See, in Thessalonica, there was a group that didn't want you guys, us, to hear the good news and get saved. They prohibited people from preaching to them. 
And I'm so glad that someone like Paul was burly enough to stand up and say, shut your mouth, I'm going to preach to these Gentiles. Because they're going to get saved. And 2,000 years later, they're going to be living in Denver and have a little church, and they're going to be praising the Lord. And God's going to be pleased to dwell with them. And that's awesome. So it doesn't matter your past or your people group, God always wants to dwell with you. And in fact, he sent his only son to, do, to make that happen. He sent him. Did you guys notice when it said in there, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Did you notice that little verse? Okay, the Lord of hosts, what does that speak of? Well, in the Bible, the Lord of hosts speaks of that God is, has a big army and he has all the power in the world to just destroy everything. I mean, it just speaks of his power to conquer things. And says that that Lord has sent me to you. And so turn now. Go ahead and we're, gonna, we're done with Zechariah. Turn to the book of John. Okay? And I'm going to just blow your mind with how John understood this idea. And how Jesus probably thought about this verse in Zechariah so many times. So many times. This just blows my mind. Okay? And I, you guys, how many of you read the book of John? All of you. Good. All right, so the book of John, you, you don't, I mean, you think about it, man, it's a good book or whatever, but I'm, we're going we're gonna to look through like 50 verses in the book of John right now. We're going to go through them, I'm going to read them, we're going to turn in our Bibles, and every time we see the word sent, you guys are going to say it. So let's practice. One, two, three. That was okay. We're going to really, we're going to understand this. Okay, the Lord, you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, he says in Zechariah. You're going to know this. You're going to know it, know it, know it. You're going to know it. And you, we here in this church tonight, we're going to know that he sent Jesus. Who did? The Lord of hosts, the one who has all the power in the world. He sent him. He sent him. Now, you're going to understand after we do this why we're doing it. But just believe me. You're going to yell out what? Sent. That's right. So look at John chapter 3, verse 34. 3.34. I'm going to do it with you, so we're going to do it together. We'll get through this. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. For he whom God said... Oh, good job. That was tricky because it was right at the beginning, right? For he who God speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Holy Spirit by measure. Now look at chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who me and to finish his work. John chapter five, verse 23. That all should honor the son just as they honor the father. For he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who him. And look at verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, hear, he who hears my word and believes in him who, me, has everlasting life, and, everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Verse 30. Verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who, me. Verse 36. 
But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the father has given me to finish. The very works I do bear witness of me that the father has me. Verse 37. And the father himself who me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he him you do not believe. Now look at verse chapter six, verse twenty nine. Chapter six, verse twenty nine. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he Verse 38, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who me. This is the will of the father who me. That all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but he should raise it up in the last day. And verse 40. And this is the will of him who me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Get strong, guys. Verse 44. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Chapter 7, verse 16. Then Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. Verse 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Verse 28. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me. You know where I'm from. You have not co- I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Verse 29. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little longer, and then I shall go to him who sent me. Chapter 8. Are you guys getting a a theme in the book of John? Is there something going on that he's trying to communicate? Is there something he wants us to know? Verse verse 16 in chapter 8. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Verse 18, I am one who bears witness of myself and the father who me bears witness of me. Verse 26, I have many things to say to judge and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. In verse 29, and he who me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do those things that please him. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. Oh, man. Chapter 9. Verse 4. 
I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Verse 7. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. Even a pool in the book of John is called sent. That's what Siloam is, the Aramaic word for sent. So now we know it in two languages. We're getting it. Oh, my gosh. This is awesome. Chapter 10, verse 36. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blasphemed because you said, I am the Son of God? Chapter 11, verse 42. Don't worry about the paper cuts. We will get them treated after service. You won't die from a paper cut. Chapter 11, verse 42. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that may, they may believe that you sent me. Chapter 12, verse 44 and 45. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, believes not in me but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Chapter 13. Verse 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent him. Verse 20, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Chapter 14, verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Chapter 15, verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Chapter 16, verse 5. Chapter 16, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? And then chapter 17. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse 8, for I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have surely known surely that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. Now, there's this, this change going on in chapter 17. See, in chapter 17, God is praying for his church. Jesus is praying for his church. It's totally different. All these previous ones, he's saying, you guys don't know me. You guys don't know who sent me. All these different things. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Because Zechariah prophesied that they don't know, but they will know. In chapter 17, I see a change. I see a change that now he's praying for them. That when the church comes into being, they will know. And that fulfills Zechariah chapter 2. Check this out. Verse uh, 18. 
as you sent me, oh, sorry, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Then verse 21. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and that I have, and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And then chapter 20. Man, we hit every chapter from chapter 3 through chapter 17. Now we're skipped to chapter 20, okay? Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Wow. When I do that, when I, when I read John like that, and I, I looked at, at how those, those verses just blow my mind, how, how Jesus was trying to get across a point. And if you're just reading the book of John, you may realize that the word sent is coming up now and then, but you're not going to get that full picture of it, right? But this is called doing a word study. This is a really awesome thing to do as you're studying the, the word. And I wasn't the one who discovered this one in John, this great study of looking at the word sent in the book of John. But as we were looking at this prophecy in Zechariah, that they will know that you sent me, it just reminded me of this thing in John, how John did such a wonderful job of helping us understand what that means and when that change happened. And that just as he was sent to us, the last verse we just read says, so we have been sent into the world. See, God is doing a restoration project in our lives. And he sent his son to get that accomplished. He sent him. But he also wants to restore your, your crabby neighbor and your terrible boss and your, your awful sister. All those people he also wants to send you into their lives. To bless them and, and begin an, your own work of restoration. Just telling them that they love them. I mean, I loved in, in some of these verses, man, that, that we, knew, we would know that we're the Lord's because of his love for us. And I think you can apply, I, I think you could go through all these verses yourself and just see, okay, if this is how Jesus was sent, if this is what Jesus was doing, he was making the will of God known, he was, he was telling people about how much God loved them, he was doing all these things for them, then how does that apply to me in my life? What is God asking me to do? How, how am I supposed to represent God in the same way? Those are good questions to ask yourself. And so I know we had a long study tonight, so I do want to pray 
and and see what the Lord is going to do with us this week because he sends us out now just as he sent Jesus and we would know it was the Lord of hosts that sent Jesus. Was there any weakness in Jesus? No, the Lord of hosts sent him, which means the Lord of all strength and battle, the Lord who can take care of things. That's who sent Jesus. So there's no weakness in Jesus. And in our life, we can know that we've been sent forth in that same strength. God said, don't be afraid. I am with you. Well, what does that mean if you don't think that he's the Lord of hosts? If you, just, if you think he's some pansy God that doesn't have any strength, then yeah, that's not that much help. But when you think of him as the Lord of hosts sent you, man, that's some strength you can go forward in. And we're going forward with this church. I'm going forward, taking a step of faith in my life personally, because I believe in the Lord of hosts has sent me. And so I invite you guys to come with me and, and to join with me in that belief. Just believe that Jesus and the Lord of hosts is with us. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we want to give you honor and glory. We want to thank you for dying for us on the cross. Lord, in your strength, Jesus, Lord, you took care of our sin problem. And Jesus, we ask for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.